Thank you to the worship team. Um, good morning, my name is Micah. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges. All right, Judges 4. In 1979, Britain elected their first ever female prime minister, Margaret Thatcher. She had, she had already been the leader of their conservative party for years, and she would go on to be their longest continuously serving prime minister of the 20th century. She led England for over a decade. She took charge during the height of the Cold War and also during a terrible economy in England um, when they were really heavily socialized. Margaret Thatcher was a strong lady. She stood up to her opponents in Parliament. She stood up to the Soviet Union, so much so that one of the journalists from Russia nicknamed her the Iron Lady. That's a pretty cool nickname, the Iron Lady. How many of you guys are Marvel Comics fans? Come on, every one of you over here should be raising your hand. Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., he was still popping his pimples when the Iron Lady stepped onto the stage. Conservatives loved Thatcher. Liberals hated her, but by the, the, the time that she was done serving her role in prime minister, both of them agreed that she led her country with unwavering strength and commitment. Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister Thatcher, is forever remembered as a stalwart who led England back to economic prosperity and who stared down the Soviet Union without so much as a blink. Tough woman, kind of like Deborah, the woman that we're going to look at today in Judges chapter 4. Let me pray before I begin. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. You promise that your word does not return to you empty. And so as we look at your word, I ask that it would return to you today with hearts that are uh, repentant, convicted, encouraged, exhorted, challenged. We thank you for these incredible stories in your Old Testament. Thank you now for this um, uh, just amazing example of a woman and a leader and a judge and a prophet and one who loves you, Deborah. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so far in our study of judges, we're already seeing this vicious cycle. You remember Brady preached a couple weeks ago when he opened us up into this series. And if you remember, this is the same graphic he used that shows this cycle of sin. And we're already seeing this cycle over and over again, just in the couple weeks that we've been into this book. Uh, this period started right after Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. And, and as soon as they got there, they would do the very thing that they promised not to do. They started worshiping the gods of the other people groups that Israel failed to completely overthrow during their conquest of the promised land. And each time Israel fell into this sin of idolatry, God would remove his protection from them and allow them to experience oppression at the hands of one of their enemies. 
After a while, the Israelites would cry out to God in repentance. Then God would give them a judge, a leader who would bring them deliverance out of their suffering and back into a time of peace and rest, being under God's protection. This was the cycle that the people of Israel uh, repeated over and over again during the time of the judges. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace. Last week we saw this cycle looking at the life of Ehud in chapter 3. And after Ehud, the Israelites enjoyed 80 years of peace and rest. Their longest period of peace in the entire book of Judges. Which brings us now to today, chapter 4. Read with me in Judges chapter 4. We're going to just read the first three verses uh, to start out. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 1 says. There's that sin cycle happening all over again. God's people just came out of 80 years of rest. During that time, they got complacent, stopped worshiping the one true God who had brought them out of, uh, or brought them into this land, and they again started worshiping the false gods of the locals. It's easy for us to roll our eyes over the Israelites during this period where they fall into the sin of idolatry over and over again. But what are your idols? I realize you don't worship Baal or the Asherah or Dagon or Chemosh or any of the ancient false gods that the Israelites wrestled with. But that doesn't mean that you and I don't wrestle with idolatry. What do you worship? The stock market's had a terrible year so far. How's that sit with you? That might be an indicator to you and me both what it is we worship. My retirement's down 25% in the course of six months. That's my future. The Israelites worshipped the false god of the locals. As far as they were concerned, that was their future. And so in verse 2, God sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Jabin had 900 iron chariots led by his general named Sisera. These chariots were the equivalent of tanks today. They were virtually unstoppable by foot soldiers. They had sharp spears coming out of their wheels so that they could just mow down the enemy. So an enemy of 900 an, an army of 900 chariots at that time was unstoppable by Israel. The Canaanites oppressed Israel to such a degree that they were even afraid to leave their houses. In the next chapter, chapter 5, which is Deborah's song of deliverance, she described the oppression of Israel, saying, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. In other words, it was too unsafe to even travel the main roads. 
So after 20 years of this, verse 3 says, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. After 20 years, why did it take them so long? I mean, why do you think the Israelites suffered for 20 years before finally crying out to the Lord? Why not cry out to the Lord after only one year of suffering? Or for that matter, after only one day of suffering? It's the same reason we don't cry out to the Lord. It's because people like their sin. People like their sin. That's why they don't cry out to God in repentance. We'd rather stay in our misery as long as it includes getting to do what we want to do instead of what God wants. The Israelites liked worshiping the gods of the locals. So they remained captive to the Canaanites for 20 years. At least that way they could still continue to worship the Canaanites' god, Baal. Let's read some more, starting in verse 4 through verse 7. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. In verse 4, we're introduced to Deborah, the Margaret Thatcher of her day. Deborah was the original Iron Lady. A woman who judged Israel in a society dominated by men. She, she's the only judge in Israel's history who was a woman. But don't believe for a second that she was any lesser than the men. Deborah was not some sort of last-ditch substitute because no man would step up to the plate. Deborah was a terrific judge. Verse 5 says, The people of Israel came up to her for judgment. They sought her out. She was also quite possibly the godliest of all the judges listed in this book. She's the only judge in the book of Judges who is also a prophet. A prophet has a hard job. A prophet faithfully declares God's word. And I'm not talking about little snippets like God's going to bless you today. Those are not hard words. A prophet declares tough Words, difficult truths that people don't want to hear because a prophet's responsibility is to accurately speak what God has revealed to them. Deborah was both a judge and a prophet, and she was clearly respected, even by those others who were in authority. We see this in verse 6 when she summoned Barak. He didn't say, eh, if she wants to talk to me, she can come to me. Barak obeyed her summons and came to her. Even this military leader had a clear respect for Deborah as both a judge and a prophet. But Deborah also knew the level of authority that God had given her. 
She didn't boss the leader of Israel's army around. Instead, she stated to Barak simply what God had revealed. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? She says. Why was Deborah so strong? A lot of you women might be thinking, man, I wish I was strong like Deborah. And a lot of men in here ought to be thinking, yeah, I wish I was strong like Deborah too. Where did she get her strength from? Deborah was not some fearless rock who you can't relate to. She was a woman. She was a wife. She referred to herself in the next chapter as the mother in Israel. She wasn't some superhuman. Her strengths did not come from within. Her strengths came from above. As a prophet, she knew what God had revealed to her. And she took great comfort in God's words. In chapter 5, when she rejoices over God's deliverance, she spoke of God's previous deliverance of Israel when they passed through the enemy territory to get to the promised land. In other words, this is a lady who knew God's word. You want to be strong like Deborah? Know God's word. In Psalm 28, David rejoiced in the strength from above saying, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Back to our passage in verse 6, Deborah reveals that God has commanded Barak to assemble troops from the surrounding territories of Naphtali and Zebulun and to head over to Mount Tabor. And in verse 6, God says, I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. The river Kishon will soon become very significant to the story. Right now, it's the dry season in Israel, which means the Kishon is a dry riverbed, the perfect place for Sisera's chariots to rule the battle. So Sisera is going to be more than happy to fight Barak and the Israelites there. Let's read verses 8 through 10. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Barak, in verse 8, he hesitates to obey God's command. He basically says to Deborah, I'm not going unless you're going with me. Deborah's not a warrior, she's a wife, a mother of Israel, a woman. Why does Barak care if she goes with him? Why does he hesitate to obey God's word? Because none of it made sense. That's why. This looked like a suicide mission. Barak's thinking, wait a minute. You want me to bring my troops down to the Kishon riverbed where Sisera's 900 iron chariots will have free reign to mow us down? (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm not going unless you and your God who talks through you is coming along with me. 
To which Deborah replies in verse 9, I will surely go with you. But it comes at a cost for Barak. Because he hesitated to obey God, because he put conditions on his obedience, Deborah tells him, you're not going to get the glory. God's going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. She'll get the glory instead of you. Read verses 11 through 16 with me. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all the army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So Sisera finds out that Barak had brought the Israelite troops over to Mount Tabor. And just as God had promised, Sisera brings all his chariots right up the Kishon riverbed, that dry riverbed, right up to the base of the mountain. Deborah, once again, in her unwavering confidence in God's word, She gives Barak the little kick in the butt that he needs to go fight such an overwhelming enemy. She says in verse 14, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go before you? Barak and the Israelite army, they come down the mountain to meet them, and the Canaanites are completely wiped out by the Israelites. But it was God who accomplished the victory. Barak's army won. God made it happen. Verse 15 tells us, The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak. God is the one who threw the Canaanite army into disarray. God did the same thing to the Egyptians back when Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea. In both of these instances, God supernaturally used water to destroy Israel's enemies. He closed the Red Sea upon the Egyptians. And here in our passage today, God again brought water to flood the Kishon River and to get Sisera's chariots stuck in the mud. This passage doesn't tell us these details. The next chapter does. In Deborah's song in chapter 5, she sings, The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. In other words, the way God routed Sisera in all his chariots was by bringing a torrential rain that turned a dry riverbed, perfect for chariots, into a flooded river 
terrible for chariots. The irony of this all is that the god of the Canaanites, Baal, was a weather god. Can you imagine the confusion of the weather of the, the, the Canaanite army as thunder and lightning and torrential rain is coming down? And they're saying, why has our weather god Baal turned against us? Baal hadn't turned against them. Baal does not exist. The one true God had turned against them. When God fights for his people, they will win. When David went up against Goliath, he said to the giant, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Just as Barak went into battle, and God did give Sisera into his hand. When God calls his people to action, he is the one who accomplishes the victory. Not a man was left, verse 16 says. Let's finish reading the chapter, starting in verses 17. <clears throat> but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But the wife of Jael, I'm sorry, the wife of Heber, Jael, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. She then went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So she went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. So Sisera barely escapes on foot. I hope you guys don't mind my stretch of a medical term. I, puncturation was not a word, so I had to put laceration, just because all that matters is that it rhymes. <laughs> so, so, but Sisera barely escapes on foot. And he comes across what, what he thinks is an ally, the wife of Heber, a gal named Jael. She calls Sisera over to her tent in verse 18, and she says, do not be afraid. She covers him with a rug. She quenches his thirst with a skin of milk and lets him fall asleep in his exhaustion. And if Deborah was the iron lady of the Old Testament, this gal, Jael, she was the female version of Thor. She uses a hammer in verse 21 to drive a tent peg right through Sisera's temple as he slept. She kills him. Sisera was a powerful man. 
He's especially vicious toward women. In chapter 5, the next chapter, Sisera is spoken of as taking a couple of women for every one of his men as the spoils of war. That's the kind of guy he is. Yet, instead of him taking the women now, this woman, Jael, takes Sisera and kills him. Fulfilling Deborah's prophecy back in verse 9 that a woman would get the glory for Sisera's death instead of Barak. And in the end of chapter 5, after Deborah sings her song of praise to God, it says the land had rest for 40 years. The cycle of sin has just come full circle again here in this book of Judges. Sin led to oppression, led to repentance, which led to deliverance, which led to peace and rest. So what do we learn from the story of Deborah? Three things I want to leave you with. The first two points are taken from a pastor named J.D. Greer because his points were excellent. First of all, God equips both men and women for ministry. God doesn't just include men into his plan and expect the women to do nothing. Women play a huge role in accomplishing God's plan. God placed Deborah into the, posi- the position of both judge and prophet, and she embraced her role willingly with humility and dignity. She also didn't try to overstep her role. She raised up and exhorted the men to lead in battle. Just a couple months ago, I preached a sermon on submission from Ephesians chapter 5, back when we were going through the book of Ephesians. Now today, I'm telling you that women are every bit as gifted for ministry as men are. Because I believe Ephesians 5 and Judges 4 are both the inerrant word of God. Ministry and submission are not mutually exclusive callings. They do not contradict each other. In some ways, God defines our role differently, but he gives the same gifting to men and women. Christians, we can fall into two errors concerning the role of women. The first is that women should be subservient in all things. The men are the ones who should be raised up to lead. The important ministries are for the men. The deeper teaching is for the men. The women should simply show up but remain superficial Christians. Just smile and and have a little godly-looking notebook. Not true. God calls both men and women to spiritual maturity, and he uses both men and women in essential ministry. The other error that Christians fall into is to ignore the difference between men and women. To claim every single role is fair game for both a man and a woman. Also not true. God commanded Barak to do the fighting, not Deborah. God also commands the man to lead in the home and in a few select positions in the church. 
Deborah, in this passage, she's referred to as the wife of Lapidoth back in verse 4 because she was under her husband's authority in the home. But her husband, obviously being a wise man, did not stand in the way of God using her as both a judge and a prophet. Deborah's famous, her husband isn't. And she's just one of many women in the Bible that God used in profound ways. Sarah, Moses' mother, Rahab, Ruth, Abigail, Esther, Mary, Anna, Tabitha. The list goes on. Thank God for the women who willingly step into their God-given roles. My second point concerns the men. When men fail to lead, God's people suffer. When the men sit silently on the bench instead of getting into the game, God's people suffer. In chapter 5 of Judges, when Deborah sang her song of praise, the first words out of her mouth were that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Deborah thanked God for the men who actually showed up to fight the battle. Later on in chapter 5, she continued to praise the men from each of the tribes of Israel who showed up to help. Throughout this book of Judges, the people of Israel, they suffer over and over again because of their actions, what they did, their sin of idolatry. But the other problem here in this story today, the story of Deborah, is also the inaction of the men, what they didn't do. Barak needed Deborah's exhortation from God to get his butt into the battle. He needed Deborah to go with him because he was afraid to lead his men. In four of the tribes of Israel, the men refused to help. They just would not come. Deborah called them out in her song in chapter 5 because when the men refused to lead, the people suffer. Sometimes the biggest temptation isn't to do evil. Sometimes it's to do nothing. To sit back when we ought to be standing up for that which is right. Leading, protecting, fighting, mentoring. When it comes to foreign missions in high-risk locations, do you know that women applicants outnumber the men by four to one? Uvalde, Texas, back in May, you remember the horrific school shooting that took place. The women were in the parking lot pleading with the men to go in and do something. One woman finally had enough, and she ran into the school alone, found both of her, her children, and brought them out to safety. When men fail to lead, God's people suffer. My last point is about God. Deborah was a terrific judge. God is the ultimate judge. We see it in our story with how God handled Sisera. Deborah and Barak, they did not get the glory for Sisera's death. An unknown lady named Jael did. 
This man, this enemy to God's people, who was a womanizer, who treated women as property, something to abuse. God used a woman, the very person Sisera held such little regard for, to bring him to his death. Because God is the ultimate judge. And one day he will right every wrong. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God's not just the ultimate judge. God is also the ultimate savior. God used Deborah and Barak to bring peace to his people, to save them temporarily. But our God brings peace to all who come to him in repentance eternally. When Barak and the Israelites fought Sisera's army, thousands of people shed their blood in order for God's people to be saved for 40 years. But when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, one man shed his blood in order for God's people to be saved forever. Barak and his army slaughtered on the day that God delivered them. Our Savior was slaughtered on the day God delivered us. Like a lamb that has led to the slaughter, Isaiah wrote, Our God is good. He's the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for these stories of incredible courage and wisdom and faithfulness. Uh, What we saw in uh, Deborah as a shining example. Thank you that you use your people regardless of their gender, regardless of anything about them, their color, their creed. Thank you that you created us in your image. And thank you that you are a good God who judges perfectly and saves wonderfully. Lord God, may this story serve as a uh, conviction to us to get off the sidelines and be willing to obey you, to be willing to follow you, to be willing to uh, fight against that which is evil. We love you, Father. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.